Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. The name of today's message, the title is God is Compassionate. God is, in fact, this is a little series I'm doing, and the series I've entitled it God Is because each week I'm going to give different aspects of God. But I want to talk about this God is compassionate. Now, some of you are going, oh, how sweet. A nice little gentle message. Aww. Just wait. Listen, our, ch- our, our, our culture. It seems to be imploding. And you guys see it. You know it. It's happening all around us. I, I tell you, I, I have never seen more angry, judgmental, rebellious, hostile, isolated people and people just walking off cliffs, you know, in a sense, than I've ever seen. I mean, it is flat out ridiculous and you know it and we need to talk about it. What does this have to do with God is compassionate? Oh, just wait and see. <laughs> Uh, you know, Jesus even told us, he told us this in Matthew chapter 24. He said that in the last days, before the return of Christ, there was going to be this escalation of evil. And, but, but he said that the, one of the unfortunate results is that many or most Christian believers would actually back away and quit showing compassion. They will quit loving other people. In other words, they will quit conveying the nature of God to people because they're scared of what's happening in the culture and in the streets. Are you beginning to see it today? A lot of believers are backing away. Well, I don't know about sharing the love of God anymore because somebody might be mean to me or I, I just, I, and, it, and it just it gets confusing. Well, I, I don't want us to be confused. I don't want us to be confused because, in other words, when lawlessness and darkness escalates, Jesus said most Christians are going to quit acting like Christians. They're going to quit acting like Jesus, and they're going to hide out. This will not be a church of people who hide out. Get that? We're not going to do that stuff. That's not me. That's not my church. And, and, and I'm going to be tenacious. I know I'm going to continue being tenacious about this. So let's ask the big question. Here's the big question I want us to address today. Here it is. How can Christians flourish in a world where everyone seems to be angry, rebellious, and hostile? How can we flourish? God doesn't want us to just exist and take up space. God doesn't want us to just kind of like, oh, yeah, we go to church, we sing a song, we gave an offering, now we're good. Yay. No. I shared the video of your pastor preaching, though. Good, good, please do that. But there's so much more, so much more. And and I I want us to, you know, I've heard some people are afraid to share videos of the preaching because they're afraid they're going to get banned on Facebook. You know what? You need to stop the nonsense and grow up and be a Christian. All right, come on. You're up for this challenge. You you wouldn't even be sitting here today, all right? (laughs) If you want to discover really... uh, what the full life of God looks like for us and how we're supposed to walk in it, we actually have to go back to the Old Testament. Can you say Old Testament? 
Old Testament. Now, I know some of you go, man, there's some, a lot of reading in there, a lot of stuff. He sure is. It's fun. But uh, I'm, I'm in my second time through the Bible, uh, I, I try to read through it. I read through it at least once every year. My goal again for this year is to read through it twice. And, uh, and, and I, a few weeks ago, I started reading through it for the second time and reading through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and I hit Exodus and I found something absolutely stunning. I've seen it before. I've preached it before, but it just made me stop and look and think and study. And I found this passage in Exodus 34, which is where I asked you to turn. And, uh, and, and I want to give you a little bit of a background on it. This is where Moses is still trying to figure out who God is. Keep in mind, they didn't have all the Bible like we have today. They didn't have all the revelation that we have today. They didn't have all the prophets that had spoken and then talked about. They didn't have it like we have it today. There was actually no temple. There was no tabernacle. There were no church gatherings. There was nothing at that time. And so Moses was still trying to wrap his brain around God. Like, who is this God? And, and, and he had already, at this point in Exodus 34, he had already received the Ten Commandments. Which, uh, which was a, a good start for things. But he brought those Ten Commandments down from the mountain, and he totally lost it. He got angry. He took those, those, those tablets of stone, and he smashed them. I mean, God carved them out of the rock and wrote with his own finger on them, and he smashed them to pieces, and he was mad, and everybody, he, you know, he threw a big, big fit because he saw the people were violating, they were worshiping idols. I mean, they were actually breaking the first two commandments that were on the stone. So he just got mad and threw a big fit. Uh, Just a little side note. When you see something happening in the culture that you don't like, when you react and throw a fit, you just make things worse. Some of you need to write that down right now. Uh (laughs) I'm going to have fun today. All right, so he has to go back up the mountain for a second time. He goes back up the mountain a second time, but this time... God says something to him a little bit different because he has to go back up the mountain to have God do the Ten Commandments again. But God, in the second setting, going back up the mountain, God decides to reveal his character to Moses. And this is the first time there's any of this recorded in the Scriptures. So this is brand new revelation. He's beginning to understand who God is. Take a look at it. Exodus 34, verse 1. Follow with me in the Scriptures. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first one. I think that's kind of funny because originally God, God like chiseled them out of, uh, of wherever it was, out of the rock. And then this next time he says, okay, you're going to do the chiseling this time. Teach you to throw a fit. <laughs> chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones that you smashed. And I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Just a reminder, be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks or the herds may graze in front of the mountain. That means I don't want the animals to see what's going on here. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him and he carried the two stone tablets in his hand. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. (laughs) Can you imagine that? That would have been a moment. 
And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming. Keep in mind, Moses just threw a fit. Everything went wrong. And then God says, the Lord, the Lord is the compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Interesting, isn't it? What Moses heard from God as he, this, this character, the character of God was revealed, it caused him just to fall on his face and worship God, and it should for us as well. Why? Because there are two sentences in there that reveal the character of God, and he saw it for the first time. In fact, those two sentences that reveal the character of God are addressed and repeated and, and discussed in more detail over 20 times throughout the rest of the Bible. This is an important moment in the history of what God was doing. Now, as we read through that part, uh, the, the first part sounded great, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, the first part sounded good. The second part seemed to contradict a little bit self. So, uh, so God is merciful and loving, but he's also vengeful? <laughs> well, if you want to discover the meaning, you actually have to look into the fuller context. And I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of that context today as I introduce this series. Now, in order to get the context, you actually have to go back to the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, God chooses one family, and it was Abraham. God chooses Abraham and his family, the Israelites, and he chooses them out of all the people on this earth to be the carriers of his glory. And, and he decided that through this family somehow, and we eventually know how through Jesus Christ later on, but through this family somehow that God was going to rescue the whole world. That was the promise that was given. Pretty incredible. Well, Genesis ends, and, uh, and at the very end of Genesis, we see that, that the family of Abraham, uh, which is now the family of Israel, his grandson, they're all living happily in Egypt. Everything is going great. They're living happy down there in Egypt. Well, 400 years later, things had begun to shift. Uh, they were now in slavery. And so God rescues the children of Israel. God rescues this family, which has now multiplied thousands of people. He rescues them from slavery in Egypt. And they camp out on Mount Sinai. They, they, they camp out around this mountain for about a year. And God led them there. God took them there. And, and he took them there so he could establish a partnership with them. He wanted this partnership, and this is called a covenant. And so God invited his people at Mount Sinai into this partnership, this covenant. And the covenant would be shaped by God's values and God's character. God lives a certain way. God, does, God has certain things in his character. And so part of the covenant is God's people will do the same, all right? so that they can represent God to the world. And the truth is, today we still carry on that responsibility. So Moses went, uh, 
He went up onto the mountain, and he wrote out this contract. He wrote out this. It wasn't really a contract. It was a covenant agreement, the Ten Commandments. And the Israelites, they were at the base of the mountain, and they were violating the first two commandments that were already in there. So they were literally breaking the covenant vows that Moses was at the same time making up on the mountain. Do you see the conflict here? Do you see the conflict? All right. And that's the same conflict we still see. God's doing one thing. God's working miracles and doing great things over here and things are falling apart over here. Now that's the same story of what we see all the time. Well, well Moses comes down off the, off the mountain and, and God, the scripture is clear, God is hurt. In fact, God is angry at this. And, and God tells Moses that this betrayal uh, that, that, that they just did, this is, this is going to keep on happening. This is just the way people are and they're going to keep doing this. So God at this point, he just says, you know, I'm, I'm just ready to call it quits. Did you know that God, God did that? He said, I'm just ready to call it quits. I think I'll just wipe you guys out from the face of the earth. I promise I wouldn't flood the earth again, but you know, there are other ways to get rid of, of this whole group. So <laughs> he did. And, and, and so in the meantime, God's just like, this betrayal is just too much. I, in the meantime, Moses goes, wait, 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 wait. Like, there's my great, 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 great grandfather, Abraham, and you made a promise to him that you were going to use our family, this group, and I know we're a big family now, but you were going to work through us to somehow rescue the world, and you gave us that promise. You can't go back on your promise. God said, thanks for the reminder. Do you know that God likes to be reminded of things sometimes? Did you know that? Did you know that? You see the rainbow that's up in the sky? Why is it rainbow up in the sky? For gay rights? Some of you think it is. No. <laughs> I stepped on another toe today or two or three. You know what the rainbow is there for? It's God put the rainbow in the sky so that when he looks down on creation and when he sees mankind not doing so good, that he'll see the rainbow and go, oh, wait, I promised I'm not going to flood the world again. That's, and that, that's a wonderful thing. That's a miracle. That's beautiful. has nothing to do with homosexuality at all unless, well, well you guys can figure that part out. All right. So, so there was this ancient promise that God had given to Abraham that, 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 that he, you're going to work through God's family. So, so God said, okay, you're right, Moses. I remember that. So God chose to not end the partnership, the covenant. He chose to continue to be faithful to the promise that he had made to Abraham. And so, so in, in doing this, Mo, God then reveals this incredible tension. And look at it again in Exodus 34, verse 6. Take a look at it. The Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So how does God maintain his love to thousands? He does it by forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Thank God for that. Verse 7, but he says, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. So God's goodness does not mean that people just get to go and do whatever they want. That is a big mistake that's out there in the culture today. Oh, well, I'm a Christian, but I can do whatever I want because Jesus died for my sins. Actually, that's not what the Bible says. You can't just do what you want. You do what God wants. <laughs> that, but that's part of God's goodness here. And, and he talks about this third to fourth generation. And these refer to generations of people 
who repeat their ancestors' sin. Do you know that even in, in sociology, they have this thing figured out that, that when something happens in a household or in a, in a family for a generation, this, it usually goes for about four generations before they change. Whatever happens, whatever is instituted, whatever decisions are made by you has an impact about four generations out. In other words, these children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, these people, four generations out, if they continue to practice the things that, that they had learned in their home, they are going to be under the judgment of God. Do you understand that? Now, it does not mean literally that if your great-grandfather sinned and he cussed, you're going to be getting the, uh, the penalty for that all right, on judgment day. That's, that's not what that means, okay? So some of you just relax a little bit here. And, and the beauty of this thing is those, those they're going to call like generational curses, they can be broken simply by making a decision that you're going to apply the blood of Jesus to your life, to your home, to your family, and you are no longer attached to those curses from the past. Praise God. All right. But that's not what I'm preaching about today. Okay, but, but, but you got to look at the contrast here. He maintains his love to thousands, but his, so his forgiveness of sin is contrasted with his judgment of sin. And the central line here is he does not leave the guilty unpunished. That is truth, my friend. That is truth that we have to hear. We have to understand. See, there are these two aspects of God. One is, is the love of God and the goodness of God, and the other is called the fear of God. The fear of God is found in that second part. We should all have the fear of God. That doesn't mean you're afraid of God, but that means you're going to respect Him, you're going to honor Him, you're going to revere Him, and you're going to live in such a way understanding that He does not leave the guilty unpunished. All right? So God is, though, still slow to anger, but He's also a just God. He's a, he's a God of justice. So here's the challenge. Taking it forward to our day, at our core, ever since Adam, we tend to lean into rebellion. We do. We tend to lean into that. All of us do. This has been the case since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. So, so the question is, how does a faithful and loyal God deal with such rebellious people? What does this mean for us? How does that mean we should relate to him? How does that mean we should relate to others? Because we are actually his representatives in the evil, hostile, angry world, and we ourselves, we lean toward rebellion at the same time. That's the challenge. That's why we need, there are some things that we need to help us with that. That balances out, we need the word of God. We need the Bible. We also need the body of Christ. We need each other. Don't be isolated. And the other thing we need is we need the Holy Spirit. When you've got the Word of God, you have the body of Christ, the family of God, you have your church, and you have, you have uh, the Holy Spirit in you, then you're able to be a conqueror. You're able to be a good representative of him in this earth. So here's my other question. How can we squash our own rebellion and do the works of God who lives in us? How do we do that? How in the world can we do that? And the answer is pretty easy, but the application is not easy. The application is a challenge. So what I'm going to be doing over these next few weeks, I'm going to be breaking that little scripture down about the attribute, these attributes of God. I'm going to do it a little bit of a time. I'm going to begin with it today, and over the next few weeks, we'll be, we'll be diving into this deeper. But here's the truth. If we begin to do, not just listen, but do what I'm teaching, we we'll be less rebellious ourselves and we'll be more like Jesus. 
which is part of our goal. And then when we're more like Jesus, we will more readily be able to represent him in the world and make a difference in the world as his representatives. And you don't have to riot. You don't have to make a scene. You don't have to rant on social media. And you certainly don't have to be a Karen anymore. All right? So are you in? Good. Yeah, this me- I, I thought of entitling this message How to Not Be a Karen, but I decided now that would be too confusing for some people who have no idea what I'm talking about. All right, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. These words are found here, and we're going to dive into this today. The Lord, the Lord is compassionate God. Compassionate. I want you to look at that word, compassionate. This is actually a fundamental, foundational characteristic of God. So what does it mean? I've done the research for you. The word compassionate is the Hebrew term rahum. Rahum. You know you want to say it, rahum, because you you wanted to say it on your own because we don't have words like that in our English language. So rahum. Come on, say it with me. Rahum. See, don't you feel better about that? Now, what this means, it means being deeply moved with intense emotion that motivates one to action. So it's a being deeply moved, but it, 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 it's like in here. You see? Look at me. It's, it's, it's here. It's this something that just starts right here, and you're so moved, like it, in your guts, in your stomach. You're so moved with emotion that you can't just stay put. You have to do something about it. That's rahum. Uh, it, it, the, the word rahum also refers to a mother's womb. Think about that. And, and like a source of compassion, uh, the, the feelings are like a, uh, how a mother would feel toward a brand new little baby. That's rahum. God has rahum for everybody in this world, and we have to do so also. So what God did is God demonstrated compassion, rahum, to his people, the Israelites, by setting them free from Egyptian slavery. What happened is he heard their cries. They were suffering under oppression, and God said, I'm going to do something about that. God is compassionate. In the desert, they were hungry. Uh, They were thirsty. And, And so God was compassionate, and he cared for them just like his own child. And he gave them food. He gave them water. He gave them guidance. That is Rahum, God is Rahum, God is compassionate. But in spite of God being compassionate, what was happening is the people kept rebelling. Uh, They even gave their allegiance to other gods. Now catch this though, and this is seen all through the Old Testament. When they rebelled against the Rahum, the compassion of God, there was a result in the culture every time. The result in the culture was rebellion, there was violence, people became scattered, and eventually they were put under oppression. You think about that in a a national sense. If we continue to abandon the, 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 the compassion of God and live in our own rebellion, even our own nation, our country, our city, we, be, we can become under the oppression of another entity. Oppressed, yeah, because what? We've turned away from the compassion of God. Now, that is the whole story of the Old Testament. Just start reading. Just start reading. You'll see that over and over and over again. Why is that there? Why are all those stories there? It's to let us know it is the same God of the Old Testament. It's the God of the New Testament. God was saying, listen, I want you to wake up. God is saying to us today, I want you to live a certain way. Now, now get this. Some of you need to write this down. Wherever compassion wanes, 
wherever there's a low level of compassion, you're going to find these elements. You will find rebellion. You will find hate. You will find violence. You will find societal fracturing. And you will find oppression. Whenever, whenever compassion is waning. Now, that should motivate you to say we can't let our compassion wane. We're God's representatives of compassion in this world. The ministry of compassion began with God, our Father. And he had this desire, remember, to rescue people from slavery, but not just from slavery from, from uh, the Egyptians, but he wants to rescue all of us, and he has, I believe he has for all of you in this room, the slavery from hell, all right? And so <laughs> these are the attributes of God the Father, this compassion. And he was so compassionate, he gave us Jesus. He put Jesus into a womb, which is rachum. He put that Jesus into a womb, which is compassion. Compassion became this person, a man, Jesus Christ, who walked around this, on this earth. So, and since we are supposed to mimic God and we're supposed to mimic Jesus, therefore, this rahum, this compassion, this characteristic of God is to be a characteristic of ours regardless. We must do this. We must do this. See, Jesus actually commands his followers to be compassionate. Did you know that? He, it's a command from God. You're not going to find it in the Ten Commandments. Boy, I'll tell you what, it's in the New Testament. I love the New Testament. The New Testament gives some great commands. In fact, they're a lot more stringent than what you find in the Old Testament. And, 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 and you can see why, because compassion is actually core to our faith. It makes us look different from the rest of the people of the world. Now, I want you to just follow along with me. I have this on the screens for you. And Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 35. He says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Now, I want to pause there for just a second. Think of someone who just absolutely made you angry over this past week. Some of you are going, oh, I don't know. There hasn't been anyone since 2018, you know. You lie. Okay, think of somebody who just made you angry. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm incensed. I'm not saying you acted out, but you're just, oh, I can't believe it. They made you angry. What are you supposed to do with them? You're supposed to love those. Those are, those are your enemies. You've got to start, start learning how to love those people. I like it because when Jesus starts this little teaching, as a micro-teaching on compassion, he starts it off by saying, you've got to love people that just, that just, that just piss you off. You've you got to love those people, all right? Do good to them. I'm like, what? I have to do, like, nice things for them? Yeah, you do. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Okay, that's where it ends, all right? How in the world am I going to do this? Okay, so Jesus is giving this example of how we're supposed to do it. And then he says, then, look at this, then, if you do that, then your reward from heaven will be very great. In fact, that was the interesting part of our pre-service prayer today. Somebody heard from God. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting like children of the Most High. Stop there. Then you will truly be acting like children of the Most High. See, a lot of people say, oh, I'm a child of God. Like, yeah, but you don't act like it. You don't act nothing like it. You don't act anything like it. How do you know, how, how does a child of God truly act? They do these things Jesus is talking about. And then you will be truly acting as children of the Most High, for He, He, God the Father, is kind. And who is He kind to? He's kind to people who are unthankful and wicked. 
I'm messing you guys up today. Some of you are saying, man, could I have not come to church on a different Sunday? You need to come back next Sunday. You'll be just fine. You're supposed to be here. God says, I want you to be kind to people who are ungrateful, unthankful, and wicked. Now, I'll tell you, when I'm around a person who's unthankful, ungrateful, it just rubs me the wrong way. Any of you? Yeah, yeah, come on, we're human. It does. Rubs me the wrong ways. You ungrateful person, you, you know, wicked, a wicked person. You know, someone hurting somebody else, someone, it's like, I, I don't like that. Okay, and, and those are very natural human emotions. So when you get those emotions, God is saying, Jesus is saying, okay, I want you to go show compassion to them. How in the world do you do that? Well, you actually ask God, God, you need to help me. Your spirit is in me. God is a God of compassion. I want to be a child of God, so show me how I can bless this person and be compassionate to them even though I don't feel like it. That is a regular prayer you should pray. That prayer has gotten me off the hook from acting out so many times. Sometimes I just want to act out. You know, I, I, I have, this, I, I have a, a personality or a temperament where I just, I sometimes act and then I'm going, now wait, what did, I, what did I just do? So what I've learned to do is when I see something happening that I feel is an injustice or I just don't like it, because injustices bug me. That is my, in fact, I learned this about my, like my Enneagram number. I'm an Enneagram 8. And so when I see injustice, it's just like, ah, I, I can't stand it. So when I see these things happen, and, and it, it just really bothers me, but I've learned that I don't have to react. One of the things I need to do is I've got to pray, God, help me to show compassion and love. Give me compassion for that person because they're doing all that for some crazy reason. They've been hurt or whatever, something in their background. I don't know, but give me compassion for them. All of a sudden, God just, shh deflates all that stuff. And it's very helpful. That's just a word for all of you Enneagram 8s. All right. And Jesus goes on to say this, verse 36, you must be compassionate. That's the command, just as your father is compassionate. So in other words, carry on the legacy of God. If you're really a child of God, then you have to be compassionate toward your enemies and toward those who are unthankful and wicked. You see, when you let compassion rise up in your heart, huh, I mean, incredible things happen. One time I did this, this series of messages several years back on, on Jesus being the model for compassion. In fact, do you realize Jesus, some of his greatest miracles that are recorded in the scriptures came about because there was something that happened inside of him. And the scriptures, when you get into the original language, it's like something in his stomach, something in his gut was just churning with compassion, and it resulted in miracles. So, so Jesus is our model for compassion. I'm going to throw some scriptures up there on the board. You can take a look at those. But mir- miracles, miracles happen when your compassion is stirred up. Here, Matthew 14, 14, listen to this. When Jesus landed and saw a great crowd, he had compassion on them, and then he healed the sick. Matthew 15, 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have always, they've already been with me for three days, and they have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. And then he fed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. Come on, Matthew chapter 20, verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight, and they followed him. Mark chapter 1, verse 41, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. He says, I am willing, be clean. Do you see the pattern of what happens when you allow compassion to be stirred up? I've heard a lot of people say, I want God to work through me to perform miracles of healing and miracles of provision. I think God wants to do that through all of us. I do believe that. I really believe that. But a good starting place is compassion. 
Because that's where it started with Jesus. Why would it be any different for us? There is no magic formula. You can't say, well, God, I'm just going to heal and do miracles. And boom, boom, oh, this sure is fine. No, God's waiting for you to be a compassionate person first. And out of that compassion, out of that deep gut moving, like, oh, God, something has to happen here. God will work through your hands and God will work through your faith. So I think it is a fitting word that, the, that, that, that God describes of himself as the first characteristic, the first trait that he is. He is compassionate. He is rahum. Now I want you to look at Matthew 9.35. Because here's what the Bible says regarding the compassion of Jesus. Remember, Jesus is compassion in the flesh. And he's our living example of how to conduct our lives. Take a look at this. Matthew 9, 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why did he have compassion? Can you let these, I I want you to think about how this can happen to you and through you. Because they were harassed and they were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Pause it for a second. We usually rush past that because we're not an agrarian society. We don't have many sheep running around and shepherds, so we kind of miss the impact of that. That culture would have very clearly understood what that meant. I've spent some time with sheep. I've spent some time with a shepherd one time, and I learned a lot. I learned so much about the scriptures. See, what sheep are, sheep are reactive something happens they react Jesus was looking at people and saying look how reactive they are sheep follow the little crowd aimlessly do you realize that if that if some sheep are walking along aimlessly without a shepherd now this is without a shepherd if they're walking along aimlessly without a shepherd they'll just all start walking off a cliff because they're all just kind of following each other into their own stupidity think about it they will literally commit suicide without realizing they're committing suicide because well everyone's going this way so I should go this way too that gives Jesus compassion. Do you see that happening to people around you? Oh, we're just kind of doing what everyone's doing. But you've got to have compassion. Sheep have no decent perception of danger. Loud noises just scare them, and that's about it. But they don't understand danger. They don't see danger. Sheep without a shepherd can't be protected from danger. And then when they do get spooked, and they tend to get spooked just by a noise, like, boom, something happens. Oh, they take off running all by themselves. And they take off running all by themselves, and they, they're dead. They're gone. It's over. So Jesus is saying, okay, now, now, now look at that again. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Okay, now Jesus' heart is moving with compassion. He's seeing this. It's really getting him in his gut. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field so Jesus was moved with this emotion of compassion because simply he had been out walking around people walking through the villages doing seemingly random ministry he kept seeing these people and he saw them acting and reacting and walking around in crowds doing the wrong things and they were just hopeless and he describes them as harassed helpless 
directionless, leaderless, vulnerable, aimless in their lives. And when Jesus saw people like that, then he turned to his disciples, and these are the men that were going to build the church, take it forward. He said, you know what I want you to do? You need, you need to feel what I'm feeling. You need to get some compassion in your heart that's going to drive you to prayer. And you need to begin praying for workers for the harvest field. Pray for workers for these people. You need, you need to pray that there will be others that will answer the call for compassion and they will move from complacency to action. They will move from away from their anger and away from their criticism to Rahum. They will be deeply moved with intense emotion that calls them to action. That's what I'm calling church today. And God will show you where that action needs to happen. God will show you what you need to do. I was, I made a little social media post this week on how I spent part of my day on Friday. Friday I was, I spent about half my day with Jack and I just, he just stepped out to probably use the rest of these here. Not trying to talk about it behind, behind his back, but I didn't want to bring this up. But uh, I was with him and we'd set this up days in advance. I put it on my calendar, blocked out the time. And, and, uh, and so I had several things I needed to do with him. I'd take him to a clinic and take him to uh, get his bus pass, take him out to breakfast, and talk about a little theology and some scriptures, and talk about current events, and, and hang out with Jack, just have a good old time hanging out with him. We get his rent paid, make sure all he has plenty of food in his refrigerator, take him to the store, let him get some extra stuff, and then, you know, he's, he started to pick up a bag of donuts, and he saw me walking up, and he said, that's okay, I, won't I said, get the donuts, get, get the donuts, Jack. Let's load up. And, and I did this little post, and, and one of the things that happens whenever I do this, it's, it's, it's like clockwork. I mean, I know it's going to happen. There are Christians out there that criticize me for that. They say, how dare you use him as a prop? How dare you let other people see what you, you're just trying to get attention for yourself? And, you know, I've learned through the years, I don't let that bother me. I just block the people, okay? Honestly, I do. I just block them. I don't reply back to them. I don't have time for that nonsense. So it's okay. And that's one of the nice things. If someone's bugging you on social media, just block them. So I get it every time, but the re- I'll tell you the reason I post that out there is to inspire other people to creative compassion. In fact, one of the things I put in there, you know, someone had made a statement. I said, you know what? I was just thinking today. We, we've adopted, we've adopted Jack. He, he's part of our family. That's, that's just the way it is. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Jack lived on the streets for um, almost a decade. And on his own, people had stolen his identity. Uh, there was social security fraud and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and we rescued Jack. This church did. Me. It's us. We rescued Jack from living under a bridge. And Jack now has, he's formerly homeless. Has a roof over his head. <clears throat> we were talking about all the good things he has. I said, Jack, I mean, you, you've got a refrigerator. You, you've got a stove. You, I mean, you can cook your own food. You have a TV. And you've got air conditioning, you've got heating, you've got a bed, you've got a desk, you've, you've got all this, this stuff. And God, this is provided by God. God's the provision for that. And so thank God for that. But I was just thinking about this because several years ago, there was a, there was a forum and there was a discussion here. It was about six years ago. 
five, six years ago here in Fort Worth. And, and the question was, how in the world can people take, how, what are we going to do about the homelessness issue? And people got up there and just made all these long speeches, and some of them were good. You know, we need more organizations. We need higher taxes. We need more, we need more, more, more. And I was like, hey, that's all fine and everything. But I, the mayor said, Tim, I want you to sign up and talk because I know what, you, what your church actually does. So I did. I signed up for the thing, and I got up and talked, and I just smiled and said, you know what? If we can just take one person, every church will just take one person off the streets and take care of them, love them, provide for them, and walk through their difficulties with them because there will be plenty. Walk through their difficulties with them. They're, theoretically, there would be no homelessness. Theoretically. Now, I know some are going to stay out there. Anyway. I, we know that. We live here in this neighborhood. We see that all the time. Theoretically, there would be no homelessness. Gone. If just every church in this city because if you, if you look at the number of churches that are in this city, you look at the number of homeless that, homeless that are in this city, they, they, the numbers actually match up. If every church just took one, like a church of 5,000 people, if you'll just take one, a church of 20, if you'll just take one, take care of them, help them, nurture them, love them, homelessness would be history. Of course, the community doesn't like hearing that. Like, no, we... Because people don't want to get their hands dirty. And I'm telling you guys, get your hands dirty. Get your stinking hands dirty. Get them stinking. All right? Get your, get your hands dirty doing real stuff. Yeah, give the offerings. Yes, be a part of, of, of other you know, things and big, big, you know, serve people. Go, go, and go to, the, go to the, the outreaches and serve people and help. I think all that's great. That should happen. That should happen. But at the same time, you got to get your hands dirty and actually do something to take a person street. That is, that's just, that's nothing more than an example. It's just an example of what one church has done and continues to do, and we're not going to give up. We're not going to stop. We're not going to give up. We're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep doing it. God's looking for people to be compassionate, and my goodness, this must be a church of compassion. It's essential and it's critical. It's critical. Because without compassion, the harvest won't happen. People will continue to wander around aimlessly. The compassion happens in a lot of different angles. And Jesus talks about it's the the people who make you angry. You need to be compassionate toward those people who just make you angry. And, and don't react the way you have been reacting. Instead, react by saying, God, help me to show this person compassion somehow. 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 So here's the question. Why are the workers few? Why did Jesus say the workers are few? It's because they've not allowed themselves to become compassionate. Rocco. That's why. That's why. Do you know? I will say serving in ministry is probably one of the most foundational expressions of compassion. Is it, it, there are, I love the church because the church is an on-ramp to compassion throughout everywhere. The church is. In fact, right now, there are people back there serving in our children's ministry. And they come and serve with some kids that are just little snotty-nosed kids. You know, you love them, uh, but they are. Crying babies, poop diapers, kids who don't know how to be grateful, kids who... Look at your look at the teacher's funny and say, You have bad breath today. I don't like you. While we're sitting in here going, Oh, praise God. You know what? That's compassion. 
that's compassion. That's an on-ramp to compassion. That's why I think, you know, as long as you love children and you can pass a background check and go through a screening, you work in the children's ministry. It's a good idea. Once a month. Here's another example. We have something coming up on our street called Faith Fest. Yeah, it's going to be a great opportunity to come out and have fun. We will have fun. I will have fun. I promise you, I will have fun. But the gospel will be presented through music. Creative music. Beautiful music. And it will, but, but the people of God need to create atmosphere because people are going to be drawn to the music. People are going to be drawn to the atmosphere. People are going to be drawn to it and coming to see what this is about. And when the people come to see what this is about, we have to have faithful people workers who have compassion in their hearts who are going to actually be nice to people, be loving to them, be kind to them, and minister to them and pray for them. Yeah, that's what we want. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. But if, if this church right here, I, 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 can't, I can't speak to everyone else, but if this church right here will simply be compassionate there will be enough workers to bring in the harvest that's around us. There will be. I'm calling you to it. After all, I me, mean, God lives in us, doesn't he? And God's spirit must motivate us. It must motivate us to be compassionate. Rock home. Like Jesus, don't forget it, he commands his followers to be compassionate. That's my question to you. Is, are you going to obey? The beauty of it is being compassionate isn't necessarily something you can plan. Like, okay, today I'm going to be compassionate from 4 to 5 p.m. Well, good. Yeah, that, that's good, but it's, 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 a, it's a lifestyle. It is something that you respond to naturally. It's when you feel that rising up in you, you have to take action. Allow it to be stirred up in you. Don't push it back down. And when you feel anger rising up or a, a, a negative emotion rising up toward another person, replace that with compassion and watch what God will do in your life because you'll be a person who will start working in miracles. People are going to be drawn to Christ through you. You're going to begin to be leading many other people into the kingdom of God and leading people in the kingdom of God deeper into the things of God. That's what you guys want anyway. Compassion's the king. Y'all want to do that? Y'all want to do that? Would you just stand all across this room with me? Just lift your hands to the Lord. Come on, just, just lift your hands to the Lord right now. God, make me be an instrument of compassion. God, make me an instrument of compassion. However, wherever, whenever, God, make me an instrument of compassion. I'm going to give up the way I've been acting. I'm going to give up my, my attitudes toward people, my attitudes toward, toward those who may, who may just get on my nerves for whatever reason. God, God, forgive me for that. God, I want to be compassionate because you're compassionate. I want to be your representative on this earth. God, I want to make a difference on this earth, and I want you to flow through me to do it in Jesus' name. Have you discovered your street of influence? Whether it be family, government, business, arts and entertainment, faith, health and vitality, or education, Head over to culturalstreets.com and discover your street today.